And you can say, hey, here's me. I'm weird, I'm silly, I'm this, I'm that. And I accept you for all of the things that you are as well. And I think that really enables people to become closer to you as a leader and to be inspired by you rather than just like following a list of orders. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. I have to ask you, how are you supporting and empowering women around you today? I got to talk with Sam DeMace, confidence coach, social media powerhouse, and a leader in recruiting, training, and leadership development. We got to talk about the importance of engaging biases and discrimination against women, advocacy, allyship, authenticity, and channeling fearless confidence. So be confident and let's dive in. Hey, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you. Happy Monday. And it is a great way to kick off Women History Month. How are you today? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing really well. Very pumped about Women's History Month for sure and excited to be here. Awesome. Well, what do you have planned? I know that you are on a Women's National Council or Leadership Council, I'm sorry. So what do you have planned for this month? A lot of different things. Um, just reading, doing a lot of reading, um, sending a lot of articles to, to colleagues, friends, people I work with, and just trying to spread as much awareness as I can and get as many conversations going as I can. Absolutely. Well, what is it that, you know, similar to other, I guess, months that recognize different groups, what is it about Women's History Month that we really need to pay attention to? For me this month, going in line with the International Women's Day theme this year, which is Choose to Challenge, to me, that's like the most important takeaway. And everyone should be, I think, focusing in on that piece is what are we challenging this month? Are we challenging inequity? Are we challenging pay inequity, discrimination, microaggressions, bias? How are we elevating our women? And what are we challenging? Awesome. Well, let's get back to that in just a second. I want to talk a little bit more about your work. You are a confidence coach and have nearly 200,000 followers between Instagram and TikTok. What has brought you confidence in this last week? Yeah, I think in this past week, just like connecting with some new followers and continuing to build this business as a career confidence coach has been like pretty eye-opening and heartwarming and exciting and just getting kind of to meet people virtually and understand what they're looking for and to be able to provide that for them has been really cool. I also just launched an online course. So I'm really excited about that. Very cool. What is your online course? It's called Course One Conjuring. Um, it has three workshops within it. They're taught live virtually by me. So it's resume remodel, crushing the interview and nailing the negotiation. Awesome. So what does it mean to you then to lead people first? Leading people first, I think, is the foundation of my career, and it's the reason I love doing what I do in every aspect of all the different things I do in my career. And to me, it really means helping people cultivate what they have that makes them amazing and elevating them to the next level. Awesome. So let's jump right into your work then. You are the youngest director in your department, and you also share amazing tips for professionals, specifically for women please share with us how you got to where you are today and learned to lead people first. Yeah, I think I got to where I am today learning from some great people and also learning from some not so great people. I think I followed the example of leaders that I really admired 
And I also learned from leaders that we're not strong leaders and that we're not people first leaders. And I kind of took from them the little nuggets of like, okay, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that when I have my huge team and <laughs> I'm not going to go that route because that surely doesn't work. Um, so it was a combination of those things and also injecting my own style into that of like leaders that I admired and leaders that I didn't admire. And then me and kind of like marrying all those things together to create it. But it was, I felt fortunate to be, you know, trained in, in that. I think a lot of leaders today are not trained in how to manage people. They're just thrown into the next role. And that is to me a huge misstep. And that's a reason why I work with a lot of people that are struggling with toxic bosses. Absolutely. What are some of those big learning lessons that stick out to you in your experience? Yeah, I think working with bosses that, I think two things, working with bosses that assumed that they needed to just have an authoritative style because that's what it meant to be a leader to them or to be a manager. And then also working with bosses that didn't understand that advocating for others also meant that they would elevate themselves in turn. I think there were some bosses that I've had in the past, leaders, managers, all different types of titles for them that didn't necessarily understand that advocating for me would mean great things for them. And that's what I do for my team. So if I'm promoting, I have a lot of women on my team that I promote, get move people up the ladder. That's good for all of us. You know, I I hate to see when leaders have that, that kind of inner, it's the patriarchy, sort of that inner feeling of like, well, I'm that that's that's not going to work for me. I'm not going to elevate you because I'm trying to do me. I'm trying to move up. So if I elevate you, what am I sacrificing? Which yeah. is totally the wrong way to look at it and it's not a people first style of leadership. Absolutely. That advocacy is such a big part in leadership and making space for others to come up is huge. So I want to thank you for doing that as well. And like you said, a lot of your work stems from this need to dismantle the patriarchal systems that have held women out of power and out of you know, growth. So what are your biggest obstacles that you've personally encountered and how have you broken through them? Yeah, there's been a lot of different things. I've definitely faced discrimination, harassment, microaggressions, microinvalidations um, throughout the course of my career. And I think some of the challenges were, you know, not being promoted at the same rate that I saw my male colleagues getting there. I think a lot of my male colleagues were promoted for their potential. Um, whereas for me, I was promoted after I had already been doing the role. So I think, and that's the case for a lot of women, um, minorities, queer folks, like I think we're kind of in that boat of like, we have to prove ourselves triple, quadruple, whereas the next white dude next to us is getting promoted for his potential because his manager is also a white dude. So to me, that is the challenge. And to break through it, um, and this takes confidence and this took me time to learn, but I engage those people who perpetuate those things like bias and discrimination. I engage those people in a dialogue about it. Um, so I've called out, I've called out bosses, I've called out colleagues um, over the years and just been like, hey, this, uh, this didn't make a lot of sense to me or hey, I was offended by this or hey, can you speak more on this? And just opening up that dialogue and talking about it in a, in a very clear kind of way has um, opened up a lot of doors for me. Easier said than done, but definitely something that I coach other people on and want to encourage more people to start doing. Absolutely. What is What do some of those dialogues look like? Can you walk us through a conversation like that? Yeah. So I think first thing, if you can do it like over the phone or everything's virtual today, so like over Zoom or Teams, I think that's always really important to do if you can. You can also do it over email just to get the dialogue going. 
But um, I've had I've had colleagues say things that have gender bias, like gender bias statements, uh, microaggressions, microinvalidation. So I'll just be like, hey, can we can we connect on this? I'd like to I'd like to call this out and I'd like to draw attention to this and, and just start the dialogue with you. And usually people are open. And then when I talk to them, I just kind of very clearly explain like, hey, this this thing that you said, you know, about women, that is actually a biased statement. And here's why. And, I'm, and I'll also explain to them like, hey, listen, I'm biased as well. We all have bias. So let's just have a conversation around it. And I'll keep the focus on how it made me feel. I'll be like, hey, this made me feel demeaned. You know, when you called me hostile, that made me feel demeaned. I'm not hostile. I'm confident. You know, it's like, would you say that to a man, that a man was hostile? You wouldn't. You would say that they were confident. But I've been called aggressive, hostile, you know, all these things. And I'm simply a confident person. So, and after I say that to them, they're kind of like, there's usually that moment of like, oh, yep, where they kind of realize it. And then there's usually, you know, just some further dialogue there. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I always say like, hey, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm trying to help. Like I'm trying to advance this dialogue. So that way the next woman doesn't have to experience this. And I think that helps people frame it and be able to kind of move forward. Yeah. That, I think that's the, the biggest thing is that self-awareness when individuals realize that they they become naturally become defensive and um right because it feels like a personal attack but again it's we're all learning we're all growing and we all have again like you said we all have our own biases that we need to overcome and so it's great that you are approaching it that way uh rather than just straight up calling people out because i know that that's the style of some and um it works for some people it doesn't you know that's not necessarily my style either so uh so what is you know you you do a lot of work in uh, right now on social media, like we said, that's highly focused on building the confidence in women and recruiting tips. And you've even created this course. How did you get inspired to do these videos? Like where did this originate from and why is it important to share this information? Yeah. So this originated for me from my life experiences, my career experiences, and that of my friends. So my friends are mostly women, queer folks, other minority peeps. And I started noticing patterns of what we were all going through at work and how similar it was and how a lot of my friends didn't necessarily have the tools to communicate what they were trying to say, whether it was with a toxic boss, with someone who was gender biased or racist or like something terrible like that, um, or even smaller things, just like, how do I move up? Like, how do I get that conversation started? And I saw a lack of confidence in people. Um, And I was like, I learned this, you know, I learned this the hard way in my, in my jobs and I want to spread the knowledge and I want pe- people to be empowered with the tools that they need to advocate for themselves at work. I saw a gap there. I was like, I can teach people this, you know, this is something that has helped me so much. And I see my friends going through it and have a feeling this will resonate with people if I share. What's been your favorite part about making these videos? I think honestly, just hearing from other women, like, oh my God, like you too. Like, I feel that like just that resonance and people vibing with it and like creating a community of people who are all like, I want to level up. Like, I want to be more confident. Like these tips helped me. People who write to me and are like, I use this tip from your video. I make 20 grand more. I was like, yes, like, this is what I want. Like pay women, promote women, like use these tips, girls. And ladies and ladies and whoever else wants to use my tips, use them because I just want to see people get what they're worth. That's so incredible, especially to get that feedback, not only to hear the feedback that it's validating that, you know, this resonates with other women, but the fact that 
individuals are coming back and saying, yeah, this actually worked. I was able to get that raise or I was able to get that job, whatever it may have been. And while there's always this great feedback, you know, online content always has its haters. It's always got negative Nancy's. How do you personally handle hateful or biased comments? And how would you advise women to do that in their workplace? How do you advise women to handle that hate and bias in the workplace? Yeah. So I think in the workplace, we definitely want to address it online. I'll be honest. I don't address it. If I get like something that's biased or hateful, um, racist, I delete it. I don't get a ton of that. Um, the gen, the generic hate comments, I leave them. Um, if it's just people disagreeing with me because engagement, take the engagement. If people want to comment, you continue commenting. You know, it's hate at work. I would say, um, we do want to address it. However, I hate to put the burden on the, the woman or the person who is facing that to feel like they have to. So I do think it's quite a personal decision and something that you have to practice and kind of work up to and feel good about. And I was just talking to someone about this recently, and there's multiple avenues you can take when that happens at work. You can take like a humorous approach if that's your style. You can be like, hey, like this was awkward, like and like make a joke of it. That's one way you can actually approach bias. Another way is like kind of the more serious educational approach that I like to take. Another way is sort of like that emotional piece of like, hey, this made me feel really sad and I really wanted to talk to you about it. So I think there's different approaches. And I think it's about like, comfort level and what that person is comfortable with. Um, Cause like I said, it's, I wouldn't want to put the burden on that marginalized person, but I do think it's worth it if you're able to start that dialogue to do so. Awesome. Yeah. It, it's important to remember that those who are dealing with bias, there's a lot of emotional uh, burden on them already, right? Whether it's women, people of color, uh, the LGBTQ plus community, um, they already have a burden just for being who they are. So it's really, that's why it's really important to have allies and have support around them. So speaking of allies, what can men in this case do to boost women up and support them? Yes. Great topic right now. Um, I think awareness, reading articles, it's women's history month, you know, educate, men can educate themselves on what women are going through, read about the pandemic and how it's disproportionately affecting women of color in terms of job loss, Um, read about the pay gap, uh, read about harassment in the workplace and how you can be an ally to prevent that. As a man, if you see that happening, a lot of men remain silent. You need to speak out and tell the man next to you, hey, that is harassment or like, hey, stop. It can be as simple or as complex as you want, but as a man, you need to intervene and you need to not be the bystander. Because I think we see too many of those bystanders, which is just perpetuating the continued bias. Um, so I would say take action. If you're a man who's a leader, I would call on you to look at your bench. And if your bench is like all men, ask yourself why that is and look down and see who's below and how can you elevate and promote more women? I think that's kind of my main message is just, if you're a man who has a team, please promote women. Um, I think as I think men sometimes, and I've had some of these conversations, you know, in life recently, oh, well, maybe the woman doesn't want to move up or maybe she wants to raise a family or maybe this, we can't make those assumptions because assumptions do not serve anyone. We need to assume that playing field is level. And we need to look at all the people on our team with equity and say like, all right, cool. I got amazingly skilled people here and I'm going to move people up and my team's going to be women. My team's going to be equitable. Um, so I would challenge men to do that. Absolutely. And those assumptions, 
if we act on them, right, is a form of discrimination. And so we have to be very careful with that. So absolutely, we cannot make those assumptions and we really have to think and have those conversations internally. Um, I'm really glad that you gave actionable steps because I think that a lot of times when I talk to uh, different leaders, um, it's usually a lot around reading, but we don't always have actionable steps around it. So thank you so much for sharing that. Who are some of the leaders that inspire you? Yes, honestly, right now, um, AOC comes to mind for me, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and I think that why she's inspiring me right now is because she is unafraid. And I like to channel that fearless energy um, and take that with me because it can be really hard when you're talking to a room full of men or just a room full of people to be able to actually channel that sort of fearless confidence. And that is something that I'm looking to do more and to inspire other people to do. So I think she is setting a really strong example right now. Awesome. Speaking of being scared, when do you get scared? Like when you, you know, when you do get scared, speaking in a room full of men, how do you overcome that personally? What are some of the tips and tricks that you might be able to share with other women? Totally. Yeah. A couple, couple tips. Um, one I would say is like, call that out, like call out the elephant in the room. So like, I would actually just say like, Hey everyone, um, I'm actually really nervous to talk about this today. And that's because it means so much to me. That's something that I say to like disarm people and kind of bring down the room and just like, let people know what's going on in my head. Um, and that actually helps me sort of like de-stress um, and be a little bit less nervous. I also always have notes that I look, look at if I need to for difficult conversations. Um, I'll write things down and put them in writing so that way I can tell people like, hey, read this afterwards. You know, take in what I'm saying now, but then read this as well to really absorb it. I think those are just a couple tips. Cool. And you consist consistently advocate for self-advocacy. And we talked about confidence, obviously, throughout this entire thing. But why is it important to advocate for yourself? And how does someone do it if they haven't had that confidence to do so before? Totally. Yeah. And I think people miss this step of like self-advocacy at work, especially when it comes to like promotions, raises, things like that. I think people tend to make an assumption that their leader will just know and just be like, oh yeah, like this person's work is really strong. So you're promoted. Like there's a key step missing there. And I learned that as I kind of worked my way up the ladder and that key step that's missing is the self-advocacy piece where you have to go to your leader with a list of your accomplishments with metrics from the past six months and say, hey, I'm ready for the next step. Here's why. Let's talk about how I can get there. That is so important. And I find that people skip that. And I've seen that in my career. I've seen that in my social media and stuff. So I want to help people with that step. Like, how do you articulate that? How can you articulate yourself and that you're ready and that here's my accomplishments and here's what I'm, what I'm getting ready to do? So I think people do miss that step. Um, and I think how to go about it is have that conversation, like sitting down with your leader, having those conversations, following up. I think following up is huge, whether you're in like the, the hiring process for a job. I think people are very, uh, they're, they're less confident to follow up. They're like, oh, am I going to be like overwhelming? Is it weird? I'm like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> like follow up, follow up every week. Here's what you're going to write. Here's what you're going to say. Um, because people miss that. And when you're not advocating for yourself, you're not getting the job, you're not getting the raise and you're not getting promoted. So I think that piece is key. Yeah. Speak up for yourself. A B have a brag sheet because not only is it great for, you know, that raise or that promotion, 
but it's also a great confidence booster because you can see all of the things that you've accomplished. Um, one tip that I like to share with individuals is at the end of each week, like go back through and say like, what are my big accomplishments from this week? Uh, because you are going to forget it next week, right? <laughs> like after yeah. the weekend, after you, your brain's reset, you're going to forget. So it's important to write those down on like Friday or if even better at the end of each day, write down, you know, what you accomplished that day, but it will, uh, really, really pay off in the long run because you'll be able to see all of the progress that you've made. I love it. So what would you like to see more from leaders in the workplace in order to lead people first? Yeah, I would like to see leaders that consider their teams as human beings um, and less as like people who serve the larger machine. And I know we obviously are in this capitalist uh, nation, but I think that in order to lead people first, leaders need to get to know their people on a real level. And I think in turn, that leader needs to expose themselves as a real human on that same level. So that's something that I do is just bring my whole self to work every day, no matter what I'm doing. And by showing my personality to my team and my people, whether it's on social media, at work, anywhere, you need, you need to not skip that step because then you can't expect people to bring their whole selves as well. Um, and you can say, hey, here's me. I'm weird, I'm silly, I'm this, I'm that. And I accept you for all of the things that you are as well. And I think that really enables people to become closer to you as a leader and to be inspired by you rather than just like following a list of orders. So I think I would love to see more leaders just be human, be genuine, be real and encourage their team members to do the same. Beautiful. I love that notion too, around bringing your whole self to work. I've been um, thinking about that personally myself, because I think there's a, there's actually a huge difference between authenticity and bringing your whole self to work work. Um, and so I would love to get your thought on that. You know, do you see a difference between authenticity and bringing your whole self to work or are they one and the same or are there nuances? I would love to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, I think there's similarities, but I think bringing your whole self to work means that you're willing to share your challenges with others, including your leader. So anyone on my team knows that if they're having a tough day, they can share that with me. And I'm like, yeah, you need mental health day, take it, you know, whatever you need, like take that day. It's like that open communication, I think is what makes the difference. Um, People can be authentic without kind of delivering on what their people actually need. So I think that's kind of what makes the difference is being attuned to the needs of your people and being real about that and not just saying it. Like, I don't just say like, yeah, don't send emails on the weekends. Like I will follow up with them and be like, hey, why'd you send an email on the weekend? I'm just curious. I want to talk through your why behind that. And then we'll kind of talk through it and I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to do that. I want to set that boundary, you know, just like you do. Because I set a boundary of like, I don't email on the weekend and my team will follow suit with that. So I think it's about that follow-up piece and setting the standard. Cool. That, you know, I, every time I hear individuals who send emails like either late at night or on the weekends, boomerang is like my favorite tool, right? Cause if you do have something on your mind, like late at night, like we all have that, right? Like, you know, random work thoughts will pop up. Um, and you just want to get it out. Uh, boomerang is fantastic and it's free for like so many, however many credits uh, a month, but you can send, you can delay send a bunch of emails. So just want to share that tip out. Yeah. Um, 
And so learning and development, you're in learning and development, you're in training at your, uh, at your job, and it's a big piece of the employee experience. And f- based on the research, it is critical for the younger generations. It was really big for millennials, and it's even larger for Gen Z. How is L&D evolving and contributing to a more positive employee experience? Yeah, I think it's definitely evolving in, in new ways. And I think the professional development piece is so important because it makes employees feel like you're not only training them for their specific on-the-job duties, but for life. You're giving them the life skills and uh, nuggets that they need to become a better person, a better leader. So they're taking those skills onto the next job or into their next role at that company. So I think it just makes people feel like you're investing in them, which I think increases retention, obviously, and just people's loyalty to, to a company uh, and just makes people feel seen and, and validated and just that they're getting to explore that and getting to enhance their skills. So I really like that aspect of it. Absolutely. What are some of the you know, biggest skills that you think need to be trained on in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I think uh, leadership is definitely one, like people first leadership, which we've been talking about a lot, how to be a leader and not a manager, I think is a really important distinction. So I, I know that skill is uh, definitely a gap. Um, and I think that's something that can be super focused on by companies in the next couple of years, if not like right this second. I think empathy is really important too, just empathy and compassion uh, and vulnerability, things that women often get dinged for in a performance review, which should actually be the reverse. To me, that's a huge strength. And that's something that I'm working to change the narrative on that in my work. Um, So I would say that. And another thing that I think is important too is big picture thinking. I think a lot of people, as they're moving their way up the ladder, they are a little more narrow in their process. They might have that style of like hyper detail orientation or just like, execution on immediate projects. But if we want to elevate people up the ladder, in addition to being people first leaders and learning how to lead or from managing, you need to have a big picture strategic vision. And I think we need more training on that. Because um, someone like me, naturally, I'm not as detail oriented. So like, that's not my strength. So I am a little bit stronger in like the bigger picture arena. But I don't think that that is everyone's natural tendency. And we need to provide leadership training on that piece. That big picture holistic uh, aspect is very important, especially, you know, in my opinion, uh, for people first leadership, right? You need to have a big picture as a manager about the business, but you also have to think about the big picture when it comes to your individual people and your team. You have to understand what are all of the factors that go into this person's life. Work is just one piece of it. There are so many other sides to it. So we have to consider that as well. Thank so true. You. Yeah. yeah. What is something false about leadership that you used to believe in or practice that is no longer true today? Hmm. Um, I would say just the notion that you have to work the hardest, be the best at everything. Um, I think that is something that new leaders think, and I'm sure that's something that I thought many years ago. And what I've embraced now is just simply being like, I don't know the answer to that. Like, I think I used to have that fear of like, I need to know every answer. I need to be able to respond to my team with the correct answer and quickly. Nowadays, um, I'll just be like, hey, you know, I'm not an expert on that, but I can connect you with somebody who is. And that to me is leadership rather than me being like fumbling with like a fake answer. And I don't know. I'll just be like, I don't know. 
Like, let's learn it together. Or I'll be like, I'm not sure, you know, who's better at that. This person under me is better. So I think leveraging people's skills, cause we're all different. I have different skills than even people under me, above me, all that. So just leveraging the different skill sets of the team and not being afraid to say, don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. It really is. Uh, we need to, that's ego that's driving it. Right. Um, yeah. And so we have to find a way to get over that, get, you know, get over that for our, our own mental selves, for the betters of others. How would you advise individuals, but in this case, specifically women who are in toxic work environments and have a difficult time finding other roles at the moment? Yes. So I, I would say this is um, unfortunately more common than we want it to be. And I think it's really about setting boundaries and sticking to those boundaries, because I think when you get trapped in the cycle of like, oh my God, like it's, it's going and it's, I'm losing it, make a change, set a boundary, do something and see how it goes. Because if you don't at least try it, you're going to be trapped in the cycle. And I've seen this happen with a lot of friends, a lot of different people. Talk to someone about it. Talk to a counselor, talk to a friend and make a plan of what you're going to do. If it's a boundary setting plan, if it's a going to HR plan, um, there's, there's always a resource. There's always a next step. I think it's just about like sitting down and making the plan. Cause I think a lot of times we get bogged down in that environment and it just becomes, it just snowballs and it's too hard to just take, take a step back. But I think you really need to take a step back and make a game plan in those moments and say, all right, I am looking for jobs on the side. I'm looking for a new job, but while I'm here, here's what I'm going to do to make this an environment that I can tolerate. I'm going to take these action steps to do so. And I think that's where people like me come in to kind of help with advice and making those game plans. Cool. How have you handled your most toxic work environment or work situation? Yeah. You know, honestly, like I, I definitely take a lot of the tips that I've given today. Like I've done a lot of those things where I'm like, I'll have a conversation. Like if I notice someone is a toxic coworker or a person that is tough to work with, like I will open up a dialogue about it and I'll be like, Hey, like this does not work for me. I'll be like, Hey, I'm made uncomfortable by this. Can we connect? Um, opening up those dialogues has helped me a ton because it prepared me for the next dialogue that was going to be really hard in the next one. So I, I would say definitely doing that. I'm very big on, you know, again, a self-worth self-advocacy piece. So if I'm in that situation, I am looking for jobs. I will, I will be actively on the search. Um, cause I think there's certain, certain red flags and certain things that happen where it's a hard no for me. And I'm just, it's not something that I'm willing to subject myself to. And I know not everybody is in that same boat. So I totally understand, but I think taking that step of just like putting yourself out there and looking for jobs is freeing because I think a lot of people feel trapped, but they don't want to give themselves permission to start looking. It's like, well, maybe it's going to change. Or if I wait, this is going to happen, or I'm going to wait six months, or I'm going to wait till performance reviews. You do not have to do that. Free yourself. I free you. I give you permission to always be looking. And that's advice that I love to give. I, I think that's really important especially if we notice something is wrong at work today um, and we're uncomfortable with it, chances are it's not going to go away. And you don't want to wait six months, 12 months, 18 months to do something about it. Um, if you realize you need to get out of there, just start. You know, I think that there's always two courses of action. One is start looking. 
either internally if it's you know a manager that you're dealing with or externally if it's the organization or two uh if you can pull any levers and try to change that culture great and and if that ends up changing and you're in the middle of your search then you can weigh the, those options so yeah absolutely what are you know you you mentioned some of those red flags for you what are some of those red flags that indicate a toxic work environment for you yeah, so there's red flags in the interview process that I think are always really important. I talk about those in like uh, on Power Mood, but things like they can't answer your questions in the interview, um, definitely a red flag. They mentioned that morale is low, red flag. Um, they uh, ask you questions that are illegal, such as where are you from or are you married, um, things like that. So those to me are massive red flags in the interview process. And I think people tend to miss those because we're excited about an opportunity or we like to kind of talk them away and be like, but the, the money's good or but this or but that. That's when you got to stop yourself in that cycle. That's where I come in. Um, and then on the job, I think when you are moved into a job or you have a new manager or things like that, I think there's things to look out for there too. If you have a new manager that you're working under and you're noticing similar things like, oh, this manager cannot answer my questions or this manager is asking me to work nights and weekends. Um, and that's when you kind of want to start thinking about, okay, let me, let me open up this dialogue. You may need to take it to HR. You may be able to open up the dialogue with them. But I think those are a couple of the things to look out for. Yeah. And I, I also want to uh, promote your, your social media accounts because on there, you have a number of videos that show what good leadership looks like. And I don't want to give it away here. So I, I want people to go watch those videos. I really enjoyed those ones, especially because when you share these questions or these actions that good managers, good leaders have or do, it's, it's like, wow, it's like a light bulb moment. And like, I know a lot of those, but every time I read them, because I think they are so infrequent in the workplace, it's like, oh yeah. That, that, like those are so awesome. So I want to push people there. Um, <laughs> another question uh, around diver diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is a really big driver for employees, especially for us as we start coming out of this pandemic. Yet many organizations are still having difficulties making meaningful progress. What would you like to see change for DEI in organizations to truly get off the ground? Yeah, something that I would love to see is less of a burden on the marginalized group and more of a burden on the company to stick to metrics or to at least identify metrics uh, of success that they'd like to reach. I think that's a great first step is just having companies commit to, all right, cool, this year or over the next five years, seven years, 10 years, um, this is what we're hoping our team looks like in terms of racial breakdown, gender breakdown, et cetera, just giving some goals to, to reach. I would love to see that because I think currently in my experience, some companies do that more so than not. I think companies are leaning on employee resource groups um, to kind of bring that education, which I think is a fantastic step one, but I think the companies need to then follow up with, these are the commitments that we're making that we're going to be reaching. And, and to do that, they have to hire diversely and promote diversely. Absolutely. Love it. What is the impact that you want to have on others that you lead? I want to make an impact that tells them that they're going to be the next leader. I want to empower people to replace me and to move up the ladder. I want to promote women, promote other marginalized folks and see that legacy kind of continue and just let people know 
you have the skills, you're there. Um, it's just about building that self-advocacy, building that confidence and creating space for people to do amazing things. Cool. If you had a magic wand to create your ideal employee experience, what would that look like? Yeah, I think the ideal employee experience would be uh, working from home. I, I enjoy that. I think that gives people the freedom to uh, work in the way that works for them. I'm introverted personally, so it works great for me. Um, so that's one. I would say professional development would be a huge part of that experience. Um, and just connecting with people who are different from you to be able to learn, whether that's in, you know, through employee resource groups, through panels, through discussions, um, just opening up different dialogues with different colleagues to, to further your knowledge. Um, and then just in an environment where it's equal opportunity and where people can move up and get promoted. And it's based on that skill and that confidence. It's not based on any other external factors like bias. Awesome. Love it. And by the way, I never would have thought that you were an introverted person. So <laughs> yes, it's a uh, very true effects. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, for those who are listening, what would you like them to do next? I would say think carefully about who you want to be and be that person and have no fear and be confident in yourself because you're awesome. Advocate for yourself every step of the way. You deserve it. You deserve more. I would say that is my, uh, that's my mission. Awesome. And where can people connect with you? Awesome. Yes. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at a power mood, and you can go to www.apowermood.com. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to me and share your amazing story. Absolutely. You are a great confidence coach. I feel pumped after this. So thank you. Um, and I look forward to seeing everything you do from here moving forward. And I wish you all the luck. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I hope you are feeling as pumped as I was after this conversation with Sam. As advocates, we have to fight against inequities and stand up to those who have biases against women. This is something I know that I personally can always work on because growing to be a better advocate is a never-ending journey. If you like this episode, click subscribe and hit the share button to send it to someone who needs to connect with Sam and watch her awesome videos. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.